0: Life is full of, can you fill in the dotted lines if I just end it there and for you to continue? Life is full of a lot of different things. But it could be life is full of questions and answers. Most of our questions are mundane. Some of our questions are more serious. Some of our questions are more life-in-depth questions. So, scholastic academic life-in-depth question is, will I pass the PSLE? If I pass the PSLE, will I get into a school of my choice or rather my parents' preference? Your work, life and death questions. Will I get into the top three banks, the top five hospitals, the top 10 law firms? And if I get that job, will I ever, will I ever get retrenched somewhere along the line for the 40s and 50s are dangerous time? And more mundane life and death questions for us is, um, where did I leave my phone? That causes a crisis in your family. Has anybody seen my phone? Right. And so, what happened to the Wi-Fi? Why is it so poor? Why is it so low? That's a life and death question in our families. But more seriously, we travel down. Let's say you go for holidays, which is coming up very soon. And on that holiday, there's an accident. And that from the accident, one of our family members is injured, injured quite bad, badly. You're in a foreign country. The health service is not too good. Your family member is bleeding. You rush, by God's grace, you manage to rush them to hospital. And what question do you ask? Is there blood here? And the question to be asked, is there the right blood type? It gets more and more serious as we go along. I told this story and years ago. There was an accident here late on Sunday evening. We would come back from dinner, went out for a little while, and then Mona and the kids had walked in, and I heard a huge bang out there. And I ran out, and a motorbike had just been, motorcyclist had just been knocked down from someone who had come over to fly over and swung into the petrol kiosk, which is illegal, right? And he, poor thing, got, got hit, and he, and he flew. And so I ran up to him, and then as I ran up to him, I, I tried to help him, I, I said to him, I pastor, I pastor, right? He's Indian, as a far out later, he was actually from Malaysia working here. And then his foot was literally hanging with blood just oozing out. Usually I'm not good with blood. I'm not. I just prayed for strength to handle that. I called out to my kids who came out to see, go get the hospital, go get help. I don't know what happened to me. I had enough courage to run in there, get him a drink and do something to stop the blood from running. And that's a life and death thing. How can we save this man? Where can we get help to him as soon as possible? In your life, you will travel from the mundane, where's my phone, What's the wi- why is the Wi-Fi so low, to the real life and death situations in which you're asking those questions. Paul is asking life, death, and eternal life questions that you and me have to answer. Every single one seated here, everyone tuning in to listen to this podcast. And so a possible outline of this portion is this. We're going to address this righteousness from God. This righteousness, is it from us or from God? And we're going to ask this from the Jewish perspective because all this is from a Jewish-Israelite perspective. This salvation, is it hard, is it easy? How do we get it? And then evangelism, who does God send? Why does he send us? And then the hardness, was it Israel's fault or is it God's fault? And so we'll explore this in turn. Let's begin where we should really begin. Romans chapter 1 of the 16 chapters speaks about this. Can we read this together? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so Paul is saying, he's not ashamed of this gospel, this gospel that he's writing to Christians in Rome, Rome at that time, was the New York of this world. It was both the, because Rome was the number one power, the Roman Empire, Rome considered themselves the most civilised of people. And he, Paul writes, about the answer to the world is not Roman rule and Roman peace, what we call Pax Romana, a peace that comes from Roman rule. But he speaks about a peace that comes from Jesus' rule. And how does Jesus rule? He died, he rose, he sits at God's right hand, he will return. Jesus dying on the cross would be foolish to the Romans because no one would ever think of this. Rome put up the cross as the crudest form to terrify their enemies who revolted against the peace that Rome so kindly offered to its people. And so this is the theme. In the gospel, there is a power of God for salvation for everyone, first to the Jew and then also to the Greek or the Gentile. And we should receive this by faith. And so, to take it up to this point, to see where we are in chapters 9 to 11, in chapters 1 to 3, Paul reasons with them that both Jews and Gentiles have fallen short, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Remember that, 3.23? There's no one righteous, not even one. In chapter 4, he then gives the alternative that Abraham, the forefather of of Israel, he was not saved by works. He was saved by faith. So how can you, as children of Abraham, Spiritual biological children of Abraham say that God has changed his way of saving us. In chapters five to eight, Israel and Paul are held out as national examples and then personal examples of, hey, what went wrong with us? Instead of being saved by grace, saved by a righteousness from God, we are now embarking on saved by works, saved by law. How on earth did that fatal detour happen? And in chapter 9 to 11, it's mainly focused on Israel. Israel's fall, Israel's fault, and Israel's future. I took this title from John Stott, a commentary we have recommended to all of us. It's a very good commentary. And so you sit here, you listen to this, you're about to decide five to seven minutes into this sermon, should I keep awake or should I doze off? Which one should I do? I want to highly commend to you that our preaching from 9 to 11, our preaching from Romans, is another assurance that God is alive and nothing is random or by chance. Because right now as we preach through Romans 9 to 11, the world is asking questions about Israel. Of course, I predicted this three years ago when we set up the preaching program. I knew this would happen. You know that? When we came out of COVID, we also knew exactly when we were coming out of COVID and we preached to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, the lesson is return, rebuild and revive your love and worship of God. When COVID broke out, we did revelation. That spoke of the cycles of punishment, judgments and punishment that will come upon us. Even the choice of our sermons, the choice of our Bible studies, is divinely ordained by God. The original series was actually Proverbs, if you look at the handbook, right? But somewhere along the line, said, Romans is so good, let's finish it. That was before Hamas attacked Israel. So I highly commend you that God is involved and in charge of the world, and of our life here in ERPC. We didn't plan this. God divinely ordained us that we would be hearing from Romans 9 to 11 about the fall, the fault and the future of Israel. And then from Romans 12 onwards, in view of God's many mercies, you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, living as one Jews and Gentiles so that's the macro picture before we arrive at this portion which is very important for us because all things have to be understood in context and so we read this portion and what was Israel's fault but as my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be safe for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so, did you notice that in chapter 9, Paul highlights Israel's failure to believe in God and his way of salvation. Only God has a heart to save you from Satan, from sin, from death, from God's wrath. Nobody has the heart, and even if they had the heart, they would not have the ability to save you and I. Do you believe that? With all your heart. But in chapter 10, it's not their failure to believe, it's their failure to understand. And there's a difference between believe and understand. So they were now ignorant of God's way to be safe. And what is this ignorance? It is a fatal ignorance. We now trace it from chapter 9 to chapter 10. That I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. When was the last time you were triggered to great sorrow and unceasing anguish in your heart? I'm not too sure, right? When you couldn't get the girlfriend or boyfriend that you were longing for? When something happened in your marriage, and understandably so, when your kids couldn't get into schools of your choice, what is it? For Paul, it is this, that my fellow countrymen, the Israelites, to them belong what? The adoption, the adoption by God, the glory of God, the covenants that God made with his people, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, who began this salvation story under God's hand, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, that the Saviour of the world will come in the flesh, who is God overall, blessed forever. Amen. Israel's Fatal Ignorance. Can we read this together? And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. You want to see the great irony just in this passage? And what is the great irony? From God's original heart, deep, sincere heart, and original purposes, they were to be the sons of Israel, as numerous as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. But because of their disobedience, only a remnant will be saved. And the rest is direct opposite of being sons of God, Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know what's the most insulting thing people have said of you and for teenagers it could be, you look like your mother, you look like your father. That's that's the most insulting thing. The most insulting thing to tell Israelites who are sons and daughters of God, you are no different to Sodom and Gomorrah. We can't trace your family lineage back to God. We can trace it to those who rebelled against God, Sodom and Gomorrah. What does this do? What does it have to do with us? Paul's agony for his fellow man was this, in chapter 9. How privileged they were, but how prejudiced they had become. They thought that they were chosen and they were superior to Gentiles. How blessed they were, but how blind they were to God's purposes. And the danger of blindness is a very great one. Chinese New Year in a small town in Malaysia, Chinese New Year anywhere in Malaysia and Singapore before they passed the law against firecrackers was this. Everywhere is red. Everything is red. Because the Chinese thing that red is fortuitous, brings fortune to us. And so throughout the house, there will be strewn Ang paos the red packets that you give for family and visitors, family, relatives and visitors who come to a house. So my grandma who lived with us was already old in her 90s and she was walking around and she picked up this red packet and um, just outside the back of our house, she picked up this red packet she was saying to herself, right in Teochew, why are they so careless with Ang Pao? And what she had picked up was actually firecrackers and it blew up in her hand. My grandma was uh, already blind in one eye she couldn't really see, right? That is what I call innocent blindness. She picked up something she shouldn't have, and if it were six-six sight, you could tell between an ang pao and a pack of firecrackers that was going off. In the old days, they, they, this pack looked like dynamite, then you light one and go bang! <laughs> and the whole street is just filled with, you know? But there's a difference to intentional blindness. And God didn't intend for his people to be blind. Blind to him, blind to his way of salvation, and blind to who this salvation is for. How might we be safe? Who might be safe? Is it only us, Israel? Then in chapter 10, Paul's longing for Israel is how zealous they are about the law. And they were now preoccupied, totally obsessed with the law. And how ignorant they became of the Lord, the Lawgiver, And God never intended to give them the law to save them. And says to them, I commend your zeal, but your zeal, your passion, your keenness, without knowledge, zeal without truth, right, leads to fanaticism. Zeal without truth is fatal. So you could say they had high work intelligence, They were working at their salvation, but they had low spiritual intelligence. Is this who God is? Is this how He intends to save us? Is this only for us? You ever belong to a cult? Through the years, there have been people who have come here. I'll never forget this conversation of this prominent man in Singapore society who belonged to a cult without knowing he belonged to a cult. And finally, by God's grace, some people invited him here. He came rather reserved to listen to the gospel. Then after a few weeks, a few months, he realised the church that he belonged to was actually a cult group. I can remember the conversation after the service. Right up here, he said to me, You know what it's like to belong to a cult group. You realise after 10 years, 15 years, you lost your life to half-truth. And I raised my child and my children on half-truths. And you could see him tearing up. To be intentionally blind to the truth of God and the true way of salvation is fatal. And for Israel to mistake the law as a means to point us to the end of the law, that was fatal. So they were blind to Jesus in the Greek and the word that must be unpacked in the first four verses, Jesus as the telos of the law. And the telos is variously translated, Jesus is the goal of the law. And if he's the goal of the law, he fulfills the law because no one ever kept it. Israel had the law. The law was good, but sin made the law weak. And so law, drowning in a sea of sin, makes the law Unhelpful, weak, incapable, strongest word, totally impotent. So if you're trying to save yourself by the keeping of the law, you're drowning in the wrath of God. Termination, Jesus completes it. Which means the law sent by God, it's good. But sin made it weak, as it were. That's why you can never save yourself by it and the shelf life and the use-by date of the law has come to an end. The usefulness of the law for God's saving purposes has reached the use-by date. It's expired. You now have to go for the fulfilment of it and the completion of it in Jesus. Did you remember in 2018 that a young soccer team of 12, between the ages of 11 to 16 in Thailand, and their coach, After a practice, they ran for shelter in a cave. And as they ran for shelter in the cave, right, high ground, it rained and rained and rained and then started to block out and flood them out, that they were stuck at this point and the whole entrance was now deep water and the rain didn't stop and then began a rescue operation that involved, let me read, 10,000 people a hundred divers from around the world, 2,000 soldiers, and 900 police to save them. It was the onset of the monsoon season, and we who live in Southeast Asia, Singapore, when the monsoon comes and the rain pours unending, and so the body of water from where they were at the cave to the entrance was four kilometres. Before long, if the rain doesn't stop, they will all drown. And so they brainstormed, the entire world brainstormed, how on earth do we rescue these 12 young boys and the coach out of this? They thought of various ways. Four kilometres of water to get through. Dark, murky water that you cannot see the palm of your hand in front of you. They finally decided on the first leg would be, you knock out the kids give them an oxygen tank. They ride on the diver. They do the first part. The final part was give them a chain, a daisy chain. And the daisy chain, that lifeline, will lead them out slowly. Because in dark, murky water, you might panic. How long more? How long more before I hold my breath? Imagine, right? If they, somewhere along the line, because they are young, They do not know what this feels like. A diver knows they've been through hundreds of practices of what it means to be underwater. If they thought that that temporary tank was their lifesaver, that would be a fatal mistake, don't you think? To think that the law saves you, and then you get on that daisy change, if somebody throws you a lifeline, and that lifeline you hang on to, at somewhere along the line, you've got to come up on the other side. It would be a fatal mistake to think that that lifeline is what saves you. You've got to come out of the water from the other side to breathe. To miss Jesus as the telos would be fatal in terms of eternity. Finally, they rescued all of them. Two divers died because it was so dangerous. Even the most experienced fellows couldn't do it. So blind to Jesus as the tellers of the law, we sit here always commending Jesus to you. I hope you do not grow tired of this. If you were part of the youth or a parent of the youth, you would want to know what's the end of this lifeline. Will it save my son? You do not listen to the gospel about Jesus. And as Errol already prayed, preemptively as it were, with apathy, with routine, with an increasing coldness of heart to the Gospel and to Jesus, that God has purposed to send His Son to die for us. They are not just ignorant, Israel, about the righteousness from God by faith, but they are also ignorant about accessibility to God. And what is this? But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven that is to bring Christ down or who will ascend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up are you lost already? you shouldn't be this is not easy to understand but as far as I can understand it I'll try to explain it to you they're ignorant about the accessibility to, to God how do we actually enter into God's presence and Paul says there's no need for you to do the hard or impossible work to ascend to heaven to find Christ. Let's go find Christ and then bring him down. Right? It's like you looking for a doctor who will make house calls. And not many doctors make makes house calls nowadays, since COVID. Not easy. Sometimes we get a call within the church. Can you help? Can you help, us, Chris? Do you know what the doctors do? You? And we'll send out a message to our WhatsApp chat to our doctors and our healthcare professionals. Can you help? Can you help in this particular situation? Let's go find a doctor who is the suitable and the expert in this. You don't need to find the spiritual doctor to save you. You don't need to descend to the abyss to bring Christ back from the dead. God has done it. Christ has come. Christ has risen. Amen? It's not something you say once a year on Easter Sunday. You should say it every day. Every day. Ignorant about accessibility, goes on. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with the mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's as... Simple as you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Notice that the resurrection is key. You want to blow away Christianity. You want to find a reason to give up on Christianity. Find a reason not to believe in the resurrection. I told you maybe two weeks ago, find the body of Jesus. And this whole thing collapses. You will find the remains of every philosopher. you find the remains of every founder of every other religion. You will not find the remains of Jesus in a grave, in a tomb, anywhere. Because he's risen from the dead. So this gospel which Moses proclaimed in Deuteronomy 30, as he led his people, led God's people in the promised land, This thing is not so hard. This word of salvation for you, now fulfilled and proclaimed by Christ, is the same gospel word. The gospel word proclaims the nearness, not the farness of God. You call, you believe in your heart, and you profess on your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. I've just come back from preaching in Cebu, Philippines, to the young professionals. This girl just spoke about her life and she was at a crossroads between looking after her parents and going off to a better place so that she would not be so stressed out. But she knows she can't go to a bigger city. She was in a small town to do her job and so she's stuck. What do I do? What do I do? What could you do? But the biggest struggle is I don't know whether I believe in this thing called Christianity because of my parents or because I really know Jesus. So what do you think I did with her? I shared the gospel. To believe superficially because you grew up in a Christian home is not saving belief. If you believe because it pleases your parents and you come to church because of your parents, You must believe this for yourself." And as we prayed that prayer, the sinner's prayer, I hope the assurance of her being loved by God and saved by God, that will then give her the wisdom to decide, do I stay in my small town and look after my parents or go to the big town and be not in such a toxic situation in my profession, in my job? Then he moves on to they are not just ignorant, about the righteousness. They are not just ignorant about accessibility to God. They are ignorant about equality. Can we read this? And what's the equality? Together. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I've done the hard work for you. What's the most repeated word or phrase here? All, 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 everyone. And by he's meaning Jews and Greeks. Don't forget to begin the gospel by, this is the gospel I'm not ashamed of. The gospel of righteousness from God. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Why is this equality so important? is not just accessibility to God, but equality in accessibility, right? Here's the formula when you read the whole of Romans 9-11. to He labours first the priority of the Jews in God's plan of salvation. Then he labours, he says, the Gentiles, the finality of the Gentiles, then and also they're included. And that makes up the totality of the Church. And that should lead us to a clearer and clearer understanding of Israel, which is the question upon many people's mind, for the average Palestinian or Muslim. To say that Israel is the family of God and America is mainly Christian, creates a huge wall of hostility that becomes not just a racial war but a religious war. So our understanding of Israel has to be clearer, biblically clearer, historically clearer, politically clearer. Not that we have the answers. But first, it is this. The priority of the Jews, the finality of Gentiles, the totality of the Church made up of Jews and Gentiles. And where does that take us? The totality of the Church, as Paul has just reasoned in chapter 10 is accessibility of all to God, then equality of all Jew and Gentile to call on God. This would be very important in the next chapters from chapter 12 onwards, because he wants to stop any sense of, if it's unequal, that the Gentiles think that they are the favoured ones and God has forgotten Israel. If Israel keep pleading, we are the first child, we are the first child, they are the second child, they are the adopted ones, there will be a sense of superiority and inferiority between them. And as long as you have a sense of superiority and inferiority, you will never live out the Gospel. Why? You will never live out equal love and equal unity. You will never live out unity in Christ Jesus because you sit in your DG group, you come to church, you think, let's say we have a queue after this, a queue to heaven. Who do you think will be at the front of the queue? Of course, the whole pastoral team. Lah. We are holier than most of you, don't you think so? And now as moderator of the whole synod, the title given to me is Right Reverend. What on, where on earth did that come from? We are Presbyterians. We don't have those terms. It slipped into our life somewhere along. That means before I became moderator, I was left reverend or incorrect reverend, now I'm more right than left. The titles just confuses completely. And I'm about to say, wherever I go, just call me Chris or Pastor Chris. That's good enough for me. So if there's a queue again, who'll be at the top, first in the queue? The whole pastoral team, the elders and the deacons, DG leaders, then you just, the hoi polloi, the common layman, you'll be way behind, I tell you there was a queue to heaven, who's in front, the Jews? Who's behind, the Gentiles? Paul wants to settle that once and for all. And in their immediate context, there's greater relevance because in AD 49, AD 49, Jesus died about AD 33, 49 minus 33, 16 years, right? Emperor Claudius marched out. Those who were making, they were causing trouble in Rome. And he marched out the Jewish population. Have you ever been marched out? The contemporary significance is, is there. Israel has asked a million people to march out of the northern part of Gaza. The whole world tells them it's not possible to march out a million people in 24 hours. It's not. And even if we march them out, How are we going to shelter them, feed them, keep them alive? It's not easy. Back to 2,000 years ago, Claudius marched them out. Then the policy changed. They were allowed to come back. So if you're Jew and Gentile sitting in a house church, and all the churches then were house churches, you expect me as a Jew to trust you, a Roman, a Gentile? to love you, to trust you. You never had a second thought about us. You follow. And that's why the theme of love is very strong in Romans 12. He says, love must not be hypocritical. Love must continue. Honour one another. He's pleading for their unity in Christ. Though things of the world have happened to them. And so, Where do we go from here? So which Israel is Paul talking about? He starts off by talking, I think, of physical Israel. But then he says, because they've disobeyed, God will only save a remnant. Uh, God will save the spiritual Israel. The spiritual Israel becomes the church that now includes the Gentiles. But there is a more nuanced thing because that doesn't answer your question and my question the most pressing one. What about the state of Israel today? And so from physical Israel comes spiritual Israel, which is the remnant. And the state of Israel was humanly set up in 1948, after the Jews had experienced the Holocaust in which an estimated six million of them were slaughtered by Hitler and the Nazis as being the main cause of the problems of, the Germ- of German poverty and German shame of the motherland. So is it created by God? All things are under God's hand, but it was created by a UN charter. And the question is asked, so will the state of Israel be safe? And I think if you follow that, it's closer perhaps to the truth, that some in there Will be part of the remnant, though they live in the state of Israel. And so movements like Jews for Jesus, the passion and the longing in their heart to still go and save their fellow countrymen, that the end of the law is Jesus. You cannot ignore Jesus, the crucified Lord who comes to save you. There are many narratives of Israel, Hamas, and the Palestinians. I pray and hope that we would be more circumspect, more cautious, not to share our views unfiltered on social media, because we do not want to take part in the passing on of half-truths and the inflaming of hearts. There's a theatre of war, I'll say that in ending, sorry, And fourthly, not just ignorance about God's way of righteousness, not just ignorance about accessibility to God, equality before God, that will lead you to understand God's salvation plan from priority to finality to totality. How then will they call on Him? Can we read this? How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sins? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Why does Paul go into this section? And most times we read this here are the verses that tell us that we are on a chain of salvation. But in their context, he was speaking about Israel. Israel, as they hear about Gentiles being included in God's way of salvation, will be asking what kind of questions, what kind of huge thought bubble do you think they will have? What kind of wrestling of the heart will they have? What theological questions will they wrestle with? Maybe we cannot call upon the Lord. We cannot believe. We cannot hear. Because there were no preachers sent to us. God sent no one to tell us about this righteousness from God that we will fulfil in Jesus. And if that's valid, was Israel handicapped in hearing about his salvation and being safe? Was Israel handicapped now that the Gentiles are in? The last kid on the block has overturned the first kid on the block. Maybe the Gentiles drew level. Maybe the Gentiles race ahead of us to receive this salvation. Maybe God has changed the rules. We who are first are not even there, let alone last. Maybe God held Israel back so that the Gentiles will rush in, into the kingdom. And Paul is classic for asking these questions, these life and death questions. So could Israel be suffering sibling anxiety that the one, the adopted child, has has usurped? All my privileges. Did you remember it started? God gave you all the privileges, but you trashed them. You thought that you were better than others, but you never lived up to the law. And so his answer is no. No, no, no. And how do you know? Sorry, ignore the how. But I ask, how did he? Did I flip on to the... Sorry. Yep. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Next thing. Let's read this together. Together, But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I'll make you jealous of those who are not a nation. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I've been found by those who do not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So was Israel handicapped? Did God not speak to them about this righteousness from him that will save them? No. God has been faithful to speak to Israel. First through what we call general revelation. And general revelation is Psalm 19 verse 2. This portion of scripture has the most Old Testament quotations when He says, God had already told you, God had already told you, don't fail me, Israel. Don't two time with me. And then from the general revelation to the special revelation, Moses and Isaiah had seen this. The Jews disobeyed, and hence were excluded. The Gentiles obeyed this gospel message, and hence they were included. No, no, no. Israel, God didn't handicap Israel in hearing the gospel and in believing the gospel but she lost it by sheer disobedience and hardness of heart." So we have been informed by Scripture. Now what does that mean for you and me? This passage is so Israel, has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with us. And what do we mean? What was Israel's fault in summary? Ignorant of God's righteousness, Ignorance of the accessibility, the equality, and the fidelity of God. That God spoke to them, and in the last days, He spoke to the Gentiles. God didn't have double standards. He's always been a consistent God. And so we need to ask ourselves some questions. This is not Paul's pain for us, but God's pain for us. How privileged, but how prejudiced how blessed and how blind we could be to God. Perhaps this is us in Singapore. I do not know what they are doing with the peace that God has offered to Singapore for 58 years. Peace to worship as Christians. Peace. As I was saying earlier, there are now three theatres of war. Two real, one potential. A theatre of war in Ukraine that will engulf Europe, a theatre of war in the Middle East that might engulf the entire Middle East, a theatre of war that could blow up between China and America over Taiwan. And here we live in an island of peace as Christians. We shouldn't take this national peace in a global world of war that this is going to last forever. We are a tiny red dot. Things can change drastically overnight. The government in December has just passed a law affirming that there will only be one form of recognized sexuality in Singapore, one form of marriage. It is between a man and a woman. How long will that law last, I do not know. If that law is lifted, you will find a war of sexualities. Do not forget, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you and me sit here as complacent Christians, thinking that this is what we merit as Singaporeans, as the Singapore Church, as Singapore Christians, and this will go on forever, I think we need to repent. They are windows for us to grow in our faith. Our theme for the year, for the whole synod, is strengthening faith, strengthening family, spiritual and biological. Are we making every effort to do that? Yeah. So last weekend was a whole weekend of our children's church leaders' retreat. As we ended the retreat, we ended with giving thanks to God. How many of you have taught children's church before? Hands up. That leaves 99% of us who haven't tried this. And next week, we're we'll beginning a recruitment drive. You saw the announcement. The Children's Church camp got sold out in 15 minutes. Bang! Just went. That's great. The supply is there, supply of children is there. There's no supply of leaders. So I'm begging you, please pray about it. Strengthening faith, strengthening family, it is not the work of Mona, Marie, Karen, and all our CC leaders who teach them. We are partners with you as parents. Come along and help them, right? And you just said, Pastor Chris just blew up my holiday plans. I thought just by dropping the kids there, I will have two days of peace. We can do this together, don't you think so? On the last night of Children's Church Leaders' Retreat, we gave thanks Long service leaves, right? For the teachers. All those serve five years, stand up. Applause. You get a prize. All those serve ten years, you know, stand up. Applause. All those serve ten years, uh, twenty years, stand up. They were, you know, my goodness, twenty years in children's church. What do you call that? Don't know. I'm trying to find a new word for that. That's really perseverance, that's wonderful. So everybody got that. Long service leave, right? It's because of their love and their passion for the godliness of the children that keep them going. So I highlighted one of the CC teachers. He had moved from the ministry at the back that you don't see here. What's the ministry at the back of the church always? The people who control the sound and light. The unseen heroes of a service, let's give them a big hand, right? Who serve week after week after week. He went from that and says, I'm not doing any, you know, front people work. So he went to Children's Church. I think the first week he went to Children's Church, he led that class, he was kicked by a child. He wanted to come back straight to this ministry. <laughs> There's some risk, right? They are violent children, they are angry children, could be yours. Please tame them before you unleash them in Sunday school. Right. so don't trash your privileges we have the national privilege of peace but if we waste it on porn on gaming on growing in sinfulness instead of growing in holiness we should come back from COVID with revenge holiness not revenge bingefulness revenge travel revenge food by all means do that but tailor that under Revenge godliness. This is the window of peace God has given to us. How long will it last? I do not know. So, Paul is actually saying, fear of missing out. He says to his countrymen, You miss Jesus as the end of the telos. You have missed out completely. It's like God has invited you to the first seats, then He's invited the Gentiles to the last seats but both of you have the best seats. The very fact that you're not going to be hell, but going to be heaven, you're in the best seats. But you proudly decline. Can you imagine if you, by a stroke of grace, you bought tickets to Coldplay? The six concerts, is it six or seven concerts? I know you bought. Hmm. Right. You bought those tickets, yeah, and you're big-hearted because you're a fan of Coldplay. Anyone invite your friends to come and enjoy the beauty of Coldplay, right? So you bought those tickets, and then your friend didn't turn up. Let's go further. You bought tickets to tailors with. You got those tickets. Again, you, in your big-heartedness, you invited your friends to come. They didn't turn up. And this is the jewel in the crown. BTS is going to come. You bought those tickets. Your friend didn't turn up. That's I'm trying to drive home the point now, huh? You think this is the best thing on planet Earth. Jesus is the best thing on planet Earth, and your friend proudly chooses not to turn up. So we should switch it from bad for more to good. Jews you invited to the first seats, Gentiles you invited to the last seats but we are all invited by God. The clock is ticking. The clock is ticking. It's not whether Jesus will return. Come, Lord Jesus. He will return. Can it be that I should reject him? Or can it be that I should be saved? Can it be? This is the lesson. This is the question, and this is the answer. We must embark on Stand and pray together. Thank you for your word that reveals so clearly to us who you are. A God who has rightly diagnosed our spiritual hearts that all of us are sinful and fallen short of your glory. A God who has mercifully, graciously, lovingly offered us the only way to be safe. A righteousness that comes from you, that the end of the law is truly Jesus, fulfilling it, completing it. Thank you for showing us the fault of Israel and give us a clearer understanding of what's happening in the world and the State of Israel. We pray for ourselves that many of us are also the inheritors of the privilege of hearing the Gospel, belonging to churches, growing up in Christian homes, but perhaps we are apathetic to it, cold to it, indifferent to it. Perhaps some of us are truly ignoring and trashing this. Awaken us when you speak your word. Stir us to fall on our knees that we would always need Jesus, not simply for ourselves, souls, but Jesus is worthy to be believed in, worthy to be worshipped, worthy to be trusted. That there is a way of salvation that we could never think of. And now that we are saved, please so enlighten and empower us to go and save our loved ones. May we never take the peacetime in Singapore as a sign of our merit, our intelligence, but but see it clearly as a sign of us being blessed to be a blessing to all the neighbouring nations around us. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.